Hello and welcome to Backstage With, a new series of podcasts where I, Kiara Lari, take you on a journey discovering backstage roles in theater. So today I'm joined with a very exciting guest. So for our listeners, why don't you tell us who you are, what you do, give us a little bit of uh, information about yourself. So my name is Raymo Jimmy, I'm sound number two on Aladdin the musical and my job is to uh, operate and fit microphones for the show um, to make it sound and feel like the original Disney animated film, which is kind of what we're basing this on. So as well as the mics, I mix the show, which is making sure that all the levels and everything that you're hearing in the auditorium is, uh, as an audience member, is is spot on. And uh, I make sure that the bands sound good, that the mics sound good, uh, and uh, I really, really enjoy doing it. Amazing. So you're all things sound, both like vocal speaking and songs, amazing Disney songs. So it's pretty important people know those songs. Right. Tell us a little bit about your mystery object today. So this is, uh, so we have Aladdin's mic here and it's got two microphones attached to it, which run down a wire to a transmitter, um, which transmits the sound, converts the sound into audio for us. So that it transmits it via, via, via radio to us. And then that gets processed by us and sent back out to the desk. So where does the microphone and transmitter go? So the transmitters go into like a, so they have a, the actor performer will have a mic belt, which is sort of elasticated belt. They wear around the waist underneath their costume. And it's kind of like the first thing they put on, then they put the costumes on top of that. Um, and then uh, this mic runs up the back, uh, the wire runs up their back and then up their neck, which we tape on. And we have these clips, which are actually, um, for want of a better term, but they're two pay clips, but they, they sew onto the wire. We sew them along the wire and uh, that clips into their hair at various points. Um, and then at the front, the last clip um, sort of holds it in place at the front. And then we can, on Aladdin's one in particular here, we have a wire sewn around uh, an actual solid wire, which is sort of bendy and manipulated. Uh, manipulated. But um, we sew that on and that can be pointed directly to it. So we can angle it exactly on their head, wherever it, we can get the best sound from them. And that hides in their hair. Okay, so you guys hear as well everything that's going on on stage and like a little like earpiece? Yeah, so one of the roles is to mix the show out front, which is a mixing desk at the back of the auditorium. And we take the audio from, from the performers and put that into our PA system along with the band. And the other role, like you just said, is to monitor. So we have a substage, we have a... A, an entire rack of receivers which we have headphones and we go through every mic throughout the show at various points. We have sort of set points but we also like to check all the time and that makes sort of ensures that we always have a good quality audio coming in from them. You mentioned a PA and a mixing desk. Right. So I'm, I don't really know much about this stuff so w what are those things? Right so the PA is what the sound designer before the production begins sits down designs for a process of going through creatively what the show requires and then kind of providing audio systems like speakers and wiring, all that sort of stuff, all the power for it, how the band's going to be set up. The PA is the main sort of system which we use, which is the one that faces the audience. And that is what the, the sound comes from. So all the speaker systems kind of all together, put together very cleverly and sort of designed very carefully with delays and things like that. And delays are sort of important to get the sound to everyone in the auditorium at the same time. So it's a timing thing as well. There's so much calculation involved, but it's um, the main PA is the main speakers. Okay, so that's the main speakers that everyone hears everything yeah. from. And the mixing desk? So the mixing desk here that we use is called a Digico SD7. And that is a, a very intuitive 
clever sound desk which basically takes all the audio from every part of the show and spits it back out into the system so into that PA system that I just discussed so that would be even down to every individual microphone in the band every individual microphone coming to us from the performers and then we control that in a sort of clever way so it's programmed to sort of give us just what we need at every single point in the show and then that goes back out into the audio system if you left it as it was and you just let everything be open all the time you would hear everyone talking backstage, you'd hear the musicians clattering about and moving their, hitting the mics with the bows and, and all those sorts of things, you know, or people just talking to each other. So yeah, we have to control that very carefully to make sure that it's as clean and as quiet when there's nothing else going on but what's on stage. So that's interesting because it's, <clears> like, it's a little thing that if you were in the audience and you were hearing these things, it would like literally ruin the entire show because you'd say, oh, I was just hearing backstage all that's these right, things. That's right, yeah, it's yeah, distracting. Yeah. But you, I mean, sometimes you, you know, back in having to dramatic days and things like that, you would hear that because, I mean, it's just not as important. So a lot of things get left open, whereas at this level, it's highly intricate. It's very carefully, almost choreographed movements that we do as an operator, which is what, what sort of what we call ourselves. As a sound operator, you need to be able to uh, learn the script, the whole script, every part of it, every musical part, you know, who plays what at what time and uh, what to feature, what not to feature, what what sticks out too much sometimes. And, and then there's other variables as well on top of that. So there's... Uh, an additional layer which you have to sort of anticipate which is if it's not the regular person that's on so if it's not Aladdin it's his cover everyone delivers that performance differently and they might take a breath here and they might or the rhythm's not the same and shows like this in particular Aladdin has a rhythm to it that goes with the music that, that has breaths and pauses and then there's a musical stab or something like that that happens and we need to anticipate that no way before it's happening and be able to make that sound as natural as possible so they have all those variables as well and sometimes someone doesn't do, doesn't say their line rarely ever happens but when it does you kind of need to be able to react to that and be aware that that could happen in which case you imagine that the person next to them is going to help them out yeah. so you kind of have their mic up which you wouldn't normally so you have to be really careful about watching what you're doing and not just thinking if you're shopping less that's yeah. really interesting you know, so yeah. you basically i didn't know this you have to know everything about the show inside and out i think i had an idea that you had a little book that said now turn on this mic, now <laughs> yeah, turn right. off this mic. But you have to actually know everything. And like like you yeah. said, like little things can go wrong or things can't go to plan because that's, like, that's just live theatre. I guess for those two and a half hours, you're like totally focused, totally in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking back now, even when I learned this show, it took me, I'd say, a, a solid month of coming every day and I put Aladdin on, my, I put the recording on my headphones on the way in, on my tube in, which is 50 minutes listen to that just solidly throughout as much as I could or just or just the same part of it over and over so like the first day I remember going right I'm gonna listen to the first 20 minutes just over and over until I sort of get to work and then I will do that I will practice that so we had a, a like a recording that came back to me which represented everything I needed it came back in the desk the same way it would in the show so it was like a sort of simulator of the show sort of thing and that's a really useful tool that not everyone has access to, but here we do. And that's a fantastic thing because I could go over that same bit over and over and then I could show my boss when he came in in the afternoon and he'd go, great, let's put that in tonight. And then I'd have to remove the script and just wing it, you know, and just get, wow. know, know the trust that I know it. That's that's one of the things I learned probably only here on Aladdin, actually, had that, that experience is to learn, learn a piece of the script, learn a song and then a bit of dialogue and then maybe another song. And then in the evening, no script, just do it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. I, can't, I can't go on roller coasters, but I could manage to do that for some reason. <laughs> That's really interesting. So you have a show tonight, am I correct in yeah, saying that? Yeah. So what would you say you have to do? Like, what is your daily to-do list? So, yeah, we come in, we get all the batteries ready. So we use rechargeable batteries for all the mics. So we get them all ready. We normally have a, 
a text that comes in telling us who's going to be on for who today. So we swap all those mics over, make sure they're on the right transmitter, and then we go out and we test the PA system, all the communication stuff that, that the stage management need to make sure that works, because that's kind of key. If they can't hear each other, then they can't communicate, then they don't have a show. So all those kind of things we need, to, and testing all the band mics and things like that. And then we dish the mics out to the dressing rooms, and then we will fit those mics at the half-hour call and make sure that everyone who has a wig or a hat or whatever, make sure that mic is clear and it's exactly where it should be. And that's set every day, should be the same every day. So we look for consistency. And then once we've got that, we have a little break and then the show starts. You mentioned working with the production team as well as the, the wigs, so the probably hair and makeup team. So how much interplay do you have as the sound team with other teams backstage? Oh, fully. I would say it's probably the number one thing. Working with all the other departments, like wigs especially, because for us that affects... Normally we work to, sort of together on those things, so we'll have... For example, on this show, the girls, most of them have wigs on, so we make sure that we check them when they come down but if there's any discussion that needs to be had if there's a new cast member we just had a cast change so we sort of look at that setup and go right what they're going to be wearing right they're wearing a wig right okay that's cool so we can we know that how that works and we can just talk to wigs and we go to the head of department and just discuss how that's going to work together when they need to do that fitting do we need to be there to sort of observe it and then after a, you know, a month or so, we can sort of trust that that's going to be fine. And then they come down at beginners at the start of the show. We just check them visually to make sure that's, that's right. But yeah, all, all departments have to talk together. Fantastic. <laughs> so another question I have for you. How did you get to being sound number two? Basically, I, I started out as a performer. I ended up doing stuff in the West End, like a couple of West End shows, which was amazing. It kind of opened my eyes to all, all the sort of technical elements of it. And I remember sort of looking at it and going, oh, do you know what, I really, really like the sound guys on my show. That was how it started, purely on the I like them kind of you thing. But I liked the what they did and I kind of thought they were really cool. Like they get to do all the stuff with the mics and just a really simple sort of like, yeah, that's how I like, that's how I sort of like anything, you know. I go, oh, I really like that. I really like what they're doing. Uh, and they were really good and they were very professional. Yeah, and I kind of left it a few years and carried on acting and doing all that. And then, so I applied to drama school and just sort of went on to an open day and sort of thought, yeah, that's cool. They've got the stuff here that I would like to work with and, and they kind of know more about the industry than me. So I, I went and did it and just went through it. I did a two-year BA honours course, a degree course, and, uh, and I came out of that. And just at the end, we, got, we were lucky that we got to sort of work with some sound designers to put on smaller shows. So I did something at, I think it was Royal Academy of Music, I did their grad shows, and kind of got introduced to the, the actual roles that I'd be doing in the West End, so sort of number three, number two, number one. I didn't really get a chance to do those really at drama school in that, in that broader sense. So that kind of opened me up to, like, what's next? So I went and did a job which is quite common in the West End, which is a deputy role. Um, so you cover holidays in a, in a West End show or you cover sick days. or So you kind of work as a freelancer and you just get to do that actual role. So number three is kind of what I was covering. And I did that for maybe about 10 years. I just really enjoyed working with the four. I found that my, my forte was working with performers because I'd been there and kind of knew what they needed. I could understand the language they were trying to discuss these really highly technical things, but they didn't really know the language to use to get that across. And I could do that translation for them and pass that on to the sound team. And then I think that's kind of how I got offered full-time roles but you're about to ask me about number two right which is no, i was gonna actually ask you what degree you like what was the actual name so of mine was a, a production arts degree so, so you yeah. went so you did uh performing you did acting and then you went back afterwards yeah. to the degree and then you then went back into a new field which to me is like so cool <laughs> it's like wow you can go back and study again well totally yeah different. i think these things are kind of a bit more fluid than I've, I've always been more of the mind of if 
you are good at one thing, that's great, but you should also be, I mean, there's so many talents that everyone has. I, I always wanted to explore something else. Acting is something you can always come back to, you know, and the same, well, the same with any job, you know, I think so, they should be open. And nowadays I think people are better about that. So you can go try a new thing, go into a new field and then you still got these skills, you know, you can still go back. And that's the thing I've always felt about acting. If I ever wanted to do it, I would do it. And there's, you know, these old stigmas of, oh, well, you're a technical person now. You're, you're, oh, you used to be an actor. You're not a proper techie person. You kind of think, well, no, that's all, that's all old stuff. You know, you can do whatever you want. You can be a sound engineer and an, and an actor as well. I know people that do that. I was going to actually ask you, what is the sound? What the, Do different sound numbers have different job roles? Does sound <laughs> one, two, three do different things? Yeah, they do. So so sound number one's role, so that'd be the head of sound normally in each theatre, um, would be, um, I suppose if it's just one person, so one person department, you're probably a sound operator, but sound number one, when you've got a team of three or four, um, is the sort of, is in charge of the whole team in charge of making sure that they're paid at the right time, they, they, they do their timesheets, they go to all the meetings, the production meetings, they liaise with the designer. So it's quite an important, I mean, it's a very important role, it's been the most important role in the building for sound. It's, it's the one that works with the company and passes that information on to the team, make sure that everyone is totally aware of what's going on, make sure that everyone is aware of all the same things at the same time and that we know the schedule, we know what's happening for the rest of the week, who's doing what. I mix three shows. I think Mark mixes three shows and Samuel do two or one, depending on the week and what, what's required. So can I assume that if you're starting out, you start as sound four, three, and then like slowly through time, you make your way up to sound one? Yeah, I mean, that's the general idea. I would say that's that's very true, but um, it's not always that way. I mean, some people really keen to just get straight into that kind of mixing every mixing every other day kind of thing so they will push really hard to get a number two job and it varies depending on the show so some departments are bigger than others so you might end up just straight starting as number two you know sometimes it's a two-person team and you have to take on that role pretty quick and do all those things that you need to do as number two which is kind of man sort of managing when the number one is not around i think it's important to go through those stages and learn to just fit microphones you know basic stuff you know and get them ready make sure they're colored right they're the, they're the right sort of skin tone for the perform all those kind of things you know, and working with the actors when they go oh I can't you know I can't hear myself very well today you kind of work out what they need I think that's really important and then number two is a, another step up oh you work with everyone it's like that's what's ringing in my head a lot yeah. right now and also that there's an ability to, to progress and grow within the field is really cool as well I wanted to ask you, what is your favourite part about the job? Favourite part of the job? I think I've given that away already. I, can't, I really like working with the performers. I really like working with actors and, and singers. And that sort of element of it, I think, because I've always had that. I can totally understand where they're coming from. And I think that language is quite difficult to, as a soundie to sometimes understand. And I think I'm a good mediator. So, you know, because everyone has bad days, right? And everyone has good days. And I sort of look at them and go, right, OK, it's what we're getting from them, what we need today. And sometimes my number one will radio and go... Are they all right? Is is everything, is, is everything okay with them? Are they do they sound? Is the mic in the right position? I have to work out if it's them or if it's us or this, you know what part of that we can improve to, to get that across the audience. You know. So that's definitely a, a, one of the most valuable skills you have. Is there any other skill that you would say, or any other two skills you'd say, are really like pertinent to 
his job. I like most of it. You know, it's one of those hard things to say. I, I, I really do love my job. I, I love every part of, of it. And I, I kind of even like the roles below what I've done. But, you know, but going back to if I could go back to number three, I'd be happy with that. And in the sense that I really care about how those mics look. I really care about the variations of performances. If we do a TV performance, the difference between that and, and filming and then the live stuff. It's just a fun, it's a fun job. And when you've got four of you doing that same thing, you know, it can be really sort of exhilarating to do, for example, filming stuff like that you know you kind of go right we need to make this show it's our show you know it's our mics we need to make them look just right and we know that that's what the designer wants and that's cool when you get that just right it's really rewarding it's awesome hearing how passionate you are about it and you you clearly love the job which is amazing like finding a job that you love i mean that's everyone's ultimate goal in life yeah. is to do work that you're passionate about and makes you happy so that's really incredible to hear but let's hear about something challenging about the job maybe when it comes to mixing the show the challenge is not thinking about something else. On some shows where they're a bit slower, you get a few pages, you know there's a few pages just in your head, you go, right, there's not a song for a little while, and it's only this person on stage. Your mind can wander, because it's that's a long time to be just thinking one thing. So, yeah, I, I was on a show before where <laughs> I had a lot of sound effects, and one of my sound effects, not in this particular production, but another one, one of my sound effects set off a pyro thing, which set fire to a house. Just for a split second, I, I drifted off, and I thought, I was, when I came back to it, I thought it was in a different scene altogether. And so I hit the go button, and it set a pyro off, that it set fire to the house while the scene was sort of halfway through. But we just had to carry on like nothing was happening. So there was a house burning down behind the actors, and they were just sort of carrying on like, okay, that, that's not quite happening. How do we get out of this? Uh, yeah, so you can't do that. So on this show, luckily, it's so busy, and it's so quick, and it's so well-timed that you don't have the time to do that. And if, you, if you're tired, you notice that you're tired, and you start to really focus in. So that's hard. That's, that's a really tricky thing to do. Would you recommend that someone who's interested in going into um, theatre and sound specifically, would you recommend that they get a degree? Is that something that's absolutely necessary? Or could they do like an internship? Do they do an apprenticeship? Like how, how does it, how do you actually get in no, there? That's a really good question. Um, I think there's so many ways of coming at these things. And I think as long as you have, first of all, primarily that you have a, an interest in it, that you genuinely really enjoyed that and at any level so even if it's just you, you're interested because you've read about it you know or you're interested because you did a um, you know here in the UK we always have like amateur productions so that's a big thing and that's a good way it's a good step of just sort of seeing the basic roles that are, that are available and all the elements of its lighting or sound or whatever it is you know or stage management you know there'll always be a little intro to that I think that's the most important thing to start with is just to have an interest in it enjoy it love it because I think if you don't there's no point in starting it out but yeah I think uni's uh, is applauded I think it's a it's a great thing and I think anyone who wants to educate themselves on a specific role that's a that's a really good thing and it is a really good introduction now, I went through that route so I sort of skipped the college part I did sort of the amateur productions saw that side of it and went oh actually do you know what I think I could I'd love to sort of scale that up and see where that would take me you know and I'm glad I did that I did do that but I wouldn't say it's everything. I'd say, first of all, yeah, go to your local college, see what courses they have. Go and watch shows. That's the most important thing. Go and watch shows, enjoy them, just enjoy the show. That's the best That's the best way to go through it, is to really enjoy it. And then start asking questions to go, like I get people come to me at the sound desk and they'll just say like, oh, well, how do, you, how do I do that? And I always say the same thing, which is, you know, go and watch a lot of productions, go and watch shows and find your, find your own path, but make sure that you meet people um, who work on the shows so if that goes if that means going to stage door or if that means 
knowing someone who knows someone, then ask that person. They'll be quite happy to talk to you because I would. I would. I would talk to anyone about it. And we want people, you know, I think most, I've always felt really encouraged any theatre that I apply to, they need good people and they want people that are interested in it. So we're actively seeking really good people. Don't be scared of applying for things. This might be really specific, but what kind of schools, like, would you go for? Is it best to go to, like, a London school, do you think? Because it's kind of the West End, or... I think if you want to work in the West End, sure, but um, I don't think that's necessarily key. Make much of a difference. No, I think as long as it's a course that kind of has what the has what is required to kind of move on into a production. I think you I think any local place would be fine. There's a lot of unis that do good courses that have that are highly technical, you know, and uh, it doesn't doesn't matter. The drama schools cater for theater specifically, so that's really useful. One of my favorite parts of the podcast right. is the quick fire questions round. Oh, this is where I fall apart. <laughs> okay. Hopefully not. You just have to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Um Hopefully quickly, yeah, <laughs> but right. I will ask away and you can just go for it, okay? Okay, so what's your favourite musical? The Light in the Piazza. Oh, that's a good one. That's going to be coming yeah. soon as well, so... It is, yeah, I've got a ticket. I'm oh. Italian, I have to love that show. Are you? Like, yeah. <laughs> Same here, I feel you on that Your favourite character in a production? Lola from Kinky Boots. Awesome. <laughs> uh, okay, someone you look up to? In the industry, oh... Um, if, if it's someone Tony Gale, our, our associate designer for Disney, I think he's uh, he's he's amazing and he does he's he's everywhere. But also just to speak to him, just a really down to earth guy who who knows his stuff. You know when you just talk to someone who really knows their stuff, he's that guy. And your best memory working within this field? I think it'd have to be at back just going back to Matilda, but where you know um, I met Mark, who is my boss now, and Sammy, who's our number three. Um, we just had so much fun on that show. We just had to, it, we, we had to make it a laugh because we were always there. So it was just funny all the time. Hearing that that is part of a job to me is like <laughs> outstanding. Like you're actually having fun and having a laugh and you make friends. And When it's show mode, everyone's on it. You know, everyone is poised and ready for whatever is needed. So you kind of have to have that that fun doing it. Is your job like a yearly kind of like salary based job or do you hop around from different shows? Most of the time, if the if it's a permanent role, like number three or number two or number one, it will be contracted for like a year. So yeah, you, you work for the show and you work there for a year. So you have a year's contract. And what exactly are the hours? Is it just the show hours? Like maybe like a couple hours before? Um, yeah, I think um, I think average is normally like 36 to 40, roughly. And um, you... you are expected. I mean, that covers most of the show time that you're in, but that includes our rig check times, that includes maintenance days and like, any extra hours. So do you come in like around like six p.m.? No. Like so we five? we start our rig check at um. So that includes like battering up the mics, the very start of the getting it all ready at quarter to five. So, so you yeah. have like the whole day free, kind yeah, of. Yeah. If you think of it yes. that way. Yes. Yeah, yes. Pretty cool like that. That's amazing. So you have so much free time as well. Yeah. It's great because then I have hobbies that I like to do and I, I like to write music and so I have my daytimes to enjoy that or go to the park or do go just get outside, you know, and meet people for coffee and yeah, it's really cool. As it is 2019 and technology is literally going at a crazy pace and advancing so fast, how does that then affect sound within the theatre industry? It's key and you need to be really open to that sort of thing. So I think um, I was telling you about our mixing desk um, and Digico is the, the, the company that makes our desk. And they have lots of new 
things coming out and lots of new desks that sort of are really cutting edge and we need to be on top of that. Now I think most of these things are um, supposed to be really intuitive so they have to be really user friendly to a degree. In what, you know, on, the, on the surface level, yes, really user friendly and then once you get into them you need to start knowing your stuff and you need to be aware of how things affect other things during the show. I'll get onto that in a sec because it's suddenly become quite a big question. I just realised, but we've got um, so for example on this show we use we use an iPad um, or a tablet to rather than in the old days someone would be stood at the mixing desk stuck there putting their iPhone on to play music so we can check all the speakers and normally you'd have a sound member go and walk that whole system so you'd have two people sort of stuck in that whereas on this show I can leave the mixing desk. And I can control elements of the speaker system just via my iPad. So I can just plug my my phone in, hit whatever track playlist I want, and I can go around and test all the speakers using that, which is great. So it's just hands-free, really useful. Um, another thing that we use on this show, which is sort of technologically new to me when I started, is we use a tracker system, which essentially very cleverly, if the actors all wear them as long as as well as these transmitters that we've got here, they wear um a, like a little. So like a little plastic square, and they have to put that in a little pouch in the, around their waist. Um, and when they walk around the system, our very clever computer works out whereabouts they are on that stage in little zones, and it gives the audience the impression that they're moving from left to right rather than us having to cleverly, you know, or up and down sometimes, you know, because they fly around and all that sort of stuff. We need to follow. It's, it it feels very genuine to sort of sit there. You really feel like the sound is coming from that person rather than from loads of speakers in front of you, you know, or around you. So that's one of the clever systems that we use. And I had to very quickly learn how that kind of, the, the basics of how that works, you know, and how, what could go wrong with it. Because I think that's a really important part is what can go wrong with something. There's a computer involved. Computers sometimes decide that they're toasters and forget what they are. So you need to know how to kind of reprogram or, or re rework things or, or kind of sometimes if something really falls over, how to bodge that together to make it work so it works for the show at least, you know, and then how can you go back and repair that after? So we have to have technology is in the forefront of our, of our sort of process, yeah. Just to ask, if someone was interested in sound um, engineering, working within sound, what's something that they could do that maybe isn't as official or permanent as a degree or like a course, like an in-betweener? Some of that they can do at school, so very early days they could just you know, get a microphone and a speaker. That's the best way. Really, really simple stuff. Just start with the absolute beginning. And if your school has those facilities, if there's a production that you know that's on and there's going to be a singer and you've got a little speaker that you can plug into, go ahead and do that. Get your head around the very basics of it, which is really important, you know. I think if you skip steps, it doesn't always help you because you have to come back to them later and yeah I think that's the easiest way to get into it to start with and then maybe after that if you know of any local um, community projects or events or you know anything that is that requires someone that can um, just you know and they're willing to give you a chance to just work it out you know rather than having to go for someone that's a fully fledged sound engineer maybe if there's uh, a chance to just plug something in and give it a go and make it work and just help you know if, if there's a if there's someone already doing that job that's the easiest way is that you can watch them I think that good people like to teach anyway so you know they would like to pass that knowledge on to someone young and keen and interested and uh, I wouldn't want to ever dissuade anyone who wanted to do the very basics of anything because even even for me you know I, I go and help 
locally we have a small production company near us that just do little little events and i like to go and help out there you know and it's such a downscale but it's not really i mean the end of the, at the end of the day i can bring something really massive to that you know i can really help make that sound really good quality and there are young people there that always ask me questions and i, I like to be that one to say look hey listen i'm here if i can do it trust me you can do it you know yeah because <laughs> i came from a i didn't come from a particularly wealthy background myself um and I just had my eye on things that I really wanted to do. And I just thought, well, there's no reason. I don't know why this needs to be something that I can't do. And uh, I think if you have that attitude of, yeah, no, literally anything is possible. That's great. Yeah, and so... and, and any, any job, I'll say this to anyone who's, who's going to listen to this, is that uh, I just have not, uh, there's, uh, I've never not done the job I wanted to do. So, because I, I wanted it. That's the best way to have, that's the best attitude to have. And you know, there's no arrogance in there. There's no... It's just, do you want to do this role? And if you do, find your path. There's there's a million of them. I always look at any job application as like, okay, so I want to do that job. Okay. And for me nowadays, it's like, oh, that show's already open. Oh, I wanted to be the original person for that. You know, but I can't now. So if, if I like that show, do I still want it? Yes. Okay. Who do I need to speak to to get that done? And then you look at things that way and go, right. And if not, what's the next show that I want to work on? Who's working on that? And it, that kind of is the same attitude I had when I was a kid. Exactly the same as when, how do I get that PA working? How do I get that mic plugged into that to make that work? And that's all, it, it's just solutions. So, um, sorry, I've sort of gone a little bit on a tangent from where we started, but the, uh, essentially what I mean is um, if you go to, if you know someone who does sound or if you have an interest in it generally, buy a book, um, you know, go to the library, any of those things will help you get to that place. And there are plenty of people that would like to give you work. And just if you think of it with that attitude, there are people that really want you to have these jobs. Um, and that's very true. And I've seen that at every level I've worked in. And you'll, you'll, you will get that. So thank you so much for everything you've told me today. That's been so interesting, really eye-opening as well. So thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, thank you.